God's people are confidently secure in a better minister of a better covenant. Please uh, join me in prayer. Father in heaven, today remind us of the Lord Jesus, the better minister, and remind us of the new covenant that he inaugurated, a better covenant. By grace, we are members of that covenant. On his merits, we are members of that covenant. May all that we say and do today be pleasing to you. May I be faithful to your word. May we be faithful hearers of your word today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 8 as we read verses 1 through 13. Now the point of what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent, that, Lord, that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on a better promise or better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with the fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, for the, from the least of them to the greatest, for their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So many things become obsolete and need to be replaced. I have a Walkman radio that I used many years ago that is stashed away in some drawer in my bedroom that I used to use when I worked out to listen to music or to listen to radio stations. It became obsolete and was replaced by an iPhone. And now I can just listen to so many different things. But yet, at one point in the future, even my iPhone is going to become obsolete. 
and will be replaced by some other newfangled gadget. The author of Hebrews teaches similarly about obsolete things needing to be replaced. The first covenant became obsolete and needed to be replaced by a second, a newer, a better covenant. But we need to keep one thing in mind. Unlike my iPhone, that one day will become obsolete and replaced by something else, this new and better covenant will never become obsolete and will never need to be replaced. And because of that, people of God, we are able to have eternal security in the Lord Jesus Christ, a better minister of a better covenant. Last week in our text, we looked at chapter 7, verses 15 through 28, and there we focused on Jesus' superiority as high priest. And in the midst of that passage, one little verse, verse 22, the author of Hebrews makes reference to Jesus as the guarantor of a better covenant. And then he goes on to talk about the superiority of Jesus' priesthood. Well, today our text picks up that theme and expands upon it, focusing on Jesus, as our text says, as a much more excellent minister of a better covenant. You'll find a sermon outline on page 7. There are two points. Jesus is a better minister, point one, and he's a better minister of a better covenant, point two. So first, Jesus is a better minister. Uh, Hebrews, as I said just moments ago, describes Jesus as much more a much more excellent minister. You'll see this in verse 6. And the reason given that Jesus is a much more excellent minister is regarding his place of ministry and his work of ministry. So let me expound upon those two aspects of Jesus, the better minister. The place of Jesus' ministry is described in verses 1 and 2. The author draws our eyes heavenward. Jesus is such a high priest because his ministry takes place at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. It takes place in the holy places. It takes place in the true tent set up by the Lord and not by man. And to show the reason Jesus is a better minister because the place of his ministry is at the right hand of God the Father, that is heaven, is he takes our eyes from heaven and moves them back again to earth. And look at verses 3 through 5. Here he describes the earthly Levitical high priest. And his ministry involved offering gifts and sacrifices according to the law. That is, according to the Mosaic covenant. And they were to make those offerings and sacrifices at that earthly tent, the tabernacle. And that earthly tent, the tabernacle, was erected precisely as God had instructed Moses on, the, on Mount Sinai. You can read about that in Exodus 26. And the main features of that earthly tabernacle 
were this, the courtyard, the altar, the holy place, the most holy place. There was a curtain that divided and separated the most holy place. Behind that curtain was the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. And that mercy seat represented God enthroned in the midst of his people. And only the high priest once a year, according to Leviticus 16, after making atonement for his own sin, would then go behind that curtain to sprinkle the blood upon the horns of the altar to make atonement for the sins of the people. Well, in verse 4, the author notes that and this, is a, this is quite an amazing contrast in verse 4. The author notes that if Jesus were on earth, he would not be qualified to minister at the earthly tabernacle. Think about that for just a moment. And, and for what reason? What, what reason could there possibly be that Jesus would be disqualified from ministering at the earthly tabernacle? Well, the reason is that he did not descend from Levi. He was of the tribe of Judah. And according to the law, he was disqualified from earthly ministry at the earthly tabernacle. But then the author says in verse 6 that Jesus, however, has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent. Much more excellent than serving at that earthly tabernacle. And in verse 5, he tells us why, because that earthly tent, that earthly tabernacle that God instructed Moses to build was but a copy and shadow of the heavenly thing. Jesus is a better minister because he serves not the lesser, the copy and shadow on earth, but that to which the earthly tabernacle pointed, the heavenly reality, the true tent that the Lord set up, not by man, verse 2. And the author also tells us that Jesus is a better minister because of not only the place of his ministry, heaven, but the work of his ministry. You'll find this in verses 6 and 7. The author showed the superiority of Jesus' priesthood, and we've been studying this the last several weeks, based on an oath that God swore promising that he would provide such a high priest as Jesus. And the author compares the temporary inferior Levitical uh, priesthood that is based on the law with that of Jesus, which is after the order of Melchizedek. Now he compares the work of the priest under the Mosaic law and the work of Jesus in the new and better covenant. The work of the Levitical high priest in mediating the Mosaic covenant was according to the law because the covenant was enacted by God's law, verse 4. And now look at verse 6. Jesus' work of ministry in mediating the new and better covenant is according to God's promises because 
the new and better covenant is enacted on better promises. Do you see the comparison here? Not only does Jesus minister in the greater place, that to which the earthly pointed, but his work of ministry is greater because it is based on promises, not on the law. God took an oath promising a high priest, a mediator, promising Jesus, who is also the guarantor, the surety that we sang about earlier of a better covenant. And the promises of the covenant are fulfilled for us by Christ, and we receive the fulfilled promises and enjoy the covenant blessings by faith in Christ. In case you don't get it, it's all about Jesus. <laughs> he fulfills the covenant, and in him we enjoy the fullness of the covenant. Jesus is the much more excellent minister, a better minister, the only mediator between God and man because he ministers in heaven. That's his place of ministry, and his work of ministry is fulfilling and bestowing the promises and blessings of the covenant on God's people by grace and through faith. Now, here's an application, and the application is simply this, confidence. Just remember that word, confidence. God's people are assured of receiving the covenant promises, and they're assured of enjoying the covenant blessings, not because we depend on an earthly minister or an earthly ministry. We don't depend on an earthly place. Nor do we depend on our own ability to keep the covenant. God's people are filled with confidence by looking to and depending on Jesus, a better minister whose ministry saves sinners to the uttermost, a ministry where he continually ministers by interceding on our behalf at the true tent, the Lord set up, not man. The true holy place. His ascension to the right hand of the majesty on high proves he victoriously redeemed God's people. He redeemed us from being covenant breakers. And he did so by offering up himself once for all. Dear friend, look with confidence to the one who is enthroned at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, ministering in the very throne room of God as great high priest who makes continual intercession on your behalf so that all the covenant promises and all the blessings of the covenant are yours today and in full in the day to come. Promises like Romans 8, 28, assuring us 
that even the bad things that we endure, God is going to work them for our good. Like Romans 8, 39, at the end of Romans 8, where we are encouraged that absolutely nothing, not even sin, not even death itself, can separate us from the love of God. That's a promise. And then we look at Philippians 4.19, one that, that Renee often mentions, promising that God is going to supply all of our needs. That's a promise. We already talked about John 3.16, that promise of eternal life to all who put their faith and trust in Jesus, God's gift. I'll give you another one. Jesus in John 11.25, who says, I am the resurrection of the life. All who believe in me, yet they die, that is physical death, they will live eternal life. That's a promise. And in the Old Testament, a promise that is so amazing when we really stop to think about it, that is a promise akin to that Romans 8, 28 passage. Also from the prophecy of Jeremiah, chapter 29 and verse 11, where God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's a promise on which we can be confident is ours in Christ Jesus. Jesus is a better minister, ministering from heaven, ministering according to promise. And then secondly, he's a minister of a better covenant. Verse 7 tells us that if, that's a big if, if the first covenant, referring to the Mosaic covenant, was faultless and was not obsolete, then a second covenant would not be necessary. We would not need a new covenant. But in fact, the author asserts the first covenant was faulty and became obsolete. And he appeals to Jeremiah 31 that Bruce read earlier. And that passage of Jeremiah 31 is quoted in Hebrews 8, 8 through 12 to prove that indeed that first covenant was faulty. And so God... God is the speaker in this passage from Jeremiah. And what we learn in this prophecy from Jeremiah is God's plan to establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with Judah. This is the second covenant the writer of Hebrews mentions. This new covenant, Jeremiah says, will not be like the first. Look at verse 7 of Hebrews 8. The covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, God says, this second covenant is not going to be like that. 
In other words, it's not going to be like the Mosaic covenant made at Sinai. This covenant at Sinai was faulty, not because of the quality of the covenant, but because of the people. Verse 9 of Hebrews 8, For they, Israel, did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them. You know, the author has already clearly laid out the apostasy of that Exodus generation that actually received the Mosaic law at the foot of Mount Sinai. You can read about that in chapter 4. And in fact, they were so apostate that they did not enter God's rest, that is the promised land. The first covenant was faulty because God's people were faulty sinners incapable of keeping the covenant. But before we go further, we, we, we need to ask, you know, how are we to understand this relationship between what the author of Hebrews calls the first covenant, the covenant with Moses, and the new and better covenant in Christ? And let me explain it this way. We are bicovenantal in our understanding of Scripture. In other words, we believe there are two covenants. And the first covenant is the covenant of works that God made with Adam. It was contingent upon Adam's obedience. And we know in Genesis chapter 3 that Adam failed. He sinned, and sin came into the world. He violated the covenant. But God, in his mercy, brought a second covenant because Life could not be achieved under that first covenant any longer because of Adam's failure. He was the mediator of that covenant. He was the federal head of that covenant. But God instituted a second covenant, the covenant of grace, with Christ as the federal head, with Christ as the mediator. The second covenant was instituted just after the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3 and would provide a way for life, even for sinful people who would be brought under that covenant of grace on the merits of the mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. And his merits are this, he fulfilled every covenant stipulation, and thus he guarantees it. He's the guarantor. He's the surety, not only fulfilling every stipulation, but he also suffered the penalty for our covenant breaking. We can't forget that. He took the wrath that we so much deserve and satisfied God's justice. And it's for these reasons that he is the guarantor and the surety of the covenant of grace. Since the fall, the covenant of grace was administered differently in the Old Testament. We think of the covenant God made with Abraham, Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant that the author here in Hebrews refers to the first covenant. He's referring to the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant that God made with Israel and David. These were different administrations, but they all pointed to the need 
for a replacement. And that replacement is the new covenant that was inaugurated by Christ. That, that those different administrations of the same covenant, the covenant of, of grace, remain in effect until the time of Christ and the new covenant. The very promise that we find God making in Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31 describes the characteristics of the new covenant. And the first characteristic is, has to do with regeneration. Look at Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 10. God said, I, this covenant is going to be different than the Mosaic covenant. I'm going to put my law in their minds, and I'm going to write my law on their hearts. In other words, God is going to radically transform his people inwardly giving them a new nature, and enabling them to love him and to obey him. The doctrine of regeneration is how we label this. God says, my people, true Israel, are not those who, or only those who are descended from Abraham, but are those who are inwardly transformed, who have received that new birth, that New Testament understanding from John 3, Jesus himself and his dialogue with Nicodemus. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, an Old Testament passage that points to this, this inward transformation that will take place. And then, of course, in the New Testament, of many passages, but Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, where Paul says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And Jeremiah says, my people are those who have been inwardly and radically changed by my grace. And my people are able to say, you are our God. Sometimes I think we fail to realize the significance of just that little, little promise that God has here in Jeremiah 31 where he says that I will be their God and they will be my people. And there's only one reason that sinners like you and me are God's people. because of that, that miracle, that inward transformation that God brings about in our lives. Secondly, knowledge, Hebrews 8.11. The inward transformation results in God's people having their minds and hearts so deeply renewed that they naturally desire and have the capacity to know God through God's very word. They do not need to be instructed. Did you know there is a God? <laughs> no, we've been inwardly changed. We've, the Holy Spirit has convinced us that there is a God and convinced us that the Bible is true. We don't need to go around instructing one another in the importance of knowing God. We, we know it because of that inward work. 
Now, one day when we all get to heaven, all will know God perfectly. But this is talking about the people of God, the church, that we are so inwardly changed that it's just part of our DNA now is to thirst after God, to know him more and more. This is a word of caution. If you do not have a desire to study God's word and to know God more deeply, you might have reason to be concerned about your spiritual health. And I would implore you to talk to me, talk to Bruce, talk to one of our elders, that we might be able to come alongside you. Because brothers and sisters, being inwardly changed in this characteristic of the new covenant means we're on fire to know the Lord. That may wane and lessen at times. But when we look at the overall direction of our life, it is that's a person who thirsts after God. And then forgiveness, Hebrews 8, 12, encourages us that the new covenant in Christ brings true forgiveness. Now, in the Old Testament economy, even in the Mosaic economy, those, those true, true believers in Israel were looking ahead to Christ to come. And yes, as, as that Levitical priest went behind the curtain and made atonement for sin, that, that, that was sufficient for the Old Testament saying in his day. They were looking forward to Christ, and Christ's ministry on the cross was so efficacious that it actually went back. They, they're in heaven because of the merits of Christ is, is how we can understand that. But, but truly the new covenant brings true forgiveness because Jesus secured that true forgiveness for his once for all offering up of himself. So, one covenant since the fall to bring life. One way of salvation through the better minister of a better covenant, the Lord Jesus. One people of God, one church, a better minister who is bringing God's true people under a better covenant. And here's the application, and it is the two-word statement, eternal security. This better covenant in Christ will never become obsolete, never need to be replaced like my Walkman or one day my iPhone. We not only have the confidence that Jesus' ministry is sufficient to bring us into the covenant, but that once we're in the covenant, we have the blessing of eternal security that we will never be cast out. We have the confidence of the eternal security that that covenant will never become obsolete. We have the confidence of this eternal security that God will never let us go that he will always love us, that nothing 
is going to separate us from his love and from that covenant. Jesus is the better minister of a better, never obsolete new covenant that he has inaugurated. And God says of those who are in Christ and members by grace of that covenant, you are my people and I am your God. And as we will sing in just a moment, the hymn we will sing reflects this truth. I will bring them, I will bring you home to glory where my love will never end. Let us now go to the Lord in prayer, being reminded that God's people are confidently secure in a better minister of a better covenant. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that indeed we're able to sing that we have absolute confidence in this matter of eternal security because of the Lord Jesus Christ, the better minister of a better covenant. And when we can, we trust you when you promise that you will bring us home to glory. We trust you when you promise that, that your love for us will never end. Nothing can separate us from it. And I pray, God, that you would just well us up with hope and confidence and assurance that we are your people and that you are God forever. In Christ's name, amen.